Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I have Dana Abraham back on the show. She is from Calm the Chaos, Lemon Lime Adventures. Probably have heard of her and her her work online. And I invited her on. She's been on a couple of times before. We've talked about difficult behavior, sensory issues. And today, I wanted to talk about school refusal, you know, when our kids are just not able to get to school. And the reason I want to talk to her about it is because she has a very intentional way of us approaching difficult behavior. And I like the proactive approach. And so we are going to discuss school refusal through that lens. Before I get started, though, I would like to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the US and outside of the US. And you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And so without further ado, here is my discussion with Dana. Well, I want to welcome Dana Abraham to the show. Thank you for coming back on again. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's always like such an honor to be here. Yeah. And we're going to talk about a great topic today. We're going to be discussing what to do with school refusal. And I know like behavior is your thing. You have Calm the Chaos. And now you actually have a new book coming out called Calm the Chaos, a failure-proof roadmap for parenting even the most challenging kids, which is completely my audience, I'm sure. And so I thought it would be great to have you on talk about school refusal and and, and how we would address that difficult behavior through your lens. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's such a big, I think especially I see more and more of that over, and I don't know if you have, but over the last like three years since the pandemic, I've seen like a rise in school refusal and then schools not really knowing what to do, parents not really knowing what to do, and then everyone kind of getting caught up in these battles. And so not only have I dealt with it from a you know, a coach or, you know, a leader perspective of helping other parents. I also have dealt with it. My youngest really struggles with anxiety. And so she really struggled to get to school. Once she was at school, she was fine for the most part. But so I've, I've dealt with a lot of that school refusal and we can talk through some of the plans we created personally and um, how to apply the framework to that situation. Yeah. And you're bringing up a couple of good points. I did see like the spike in school refusal or just inability to get to school. I I don't know, like a softer way to say it. After COVID, I think kids got really used to being at home and it did bring a lot of fears, I think, going back into school. And Mm -hmm. I know my son had a really hard time. Today's actually the first day of school. (laughs) We start so early. You start so early. I know. And I know with my son, who's been like, who's 13 and was like, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. You can feel that anxiety in your own body. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you just don't know what you're going to wake up to. And I woke him up this morning and he's like, I just don't want to get up. And like, you have that flash of like, oh my gosh, he's 13. How am I going to get him out of bed? Like, I can't force him to go to school. And thankfully he got downstairs and he like, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, but that anxiety every year that I'm sure so many parents and I'm sure you too experience is so intense. 
it is. And then you, like you already said, like you start to catastrophize and you start to go down a spiral of thoughts of like, well, how am I going to get him to school? And if I don't get him to school, how's he going to pass? And if he doesn't pass, how's he ever going to go to college? And if he doesn't go to college, how's he get a job? And if he doesn't get a job, how's he going to live on his own? Right? Like you just go down this long, long path instead of focusing on today. Today, yeah. something is stopping him from being able to go to school. What does he need? How do I get curious to help him get there? And, but it's so easy for our brains to go into like, ah, like there's so many things that are going to go wrong here. Yeah, 100%. I, w- I was getting up for eighth grade and I was also getting him up for ninth grade high school. Uh-huh. High school is going to be so much worse. So you're, a, I think you're right. Like that's what we do. And then it immobilizes us because then yeah. we're not even, we're not even intentional with our actions because now we're panicking. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, and then you also, if you've struggled before, right? So like you have experience of struggling in the past. And so first day of school, it happens. So then the thought is like, here we go again. Great. It's another year where we're just going to battle with this all the time. And, you know, I can't like, what am I doing wrong here? And then you start to beat yourself up. And it's just like, it's this endless cycle. So I think that's the first step really is just one, like, normalizing it. There are so many kids who are struggling to get to school. And if we look at like why, you know, I think there's a couple of reasons we can make a lot of assumptions and guesses. But in the book, I talk about something called the behavior funnel, which is like what's under the surface and kind of a systematic way of looking at behavior. And the first one is basic needs. And so if your kids' basic needs aren't being met, and we always think of like, hunger, sleep, you know, thirst, those sorts of things, but safety is number one. And if your mm-hmm. kids don't feel safe and a child who has anxiety, OCD, a lot of that's coming from, they need that control on that to feel safe, right? Like they're, they're not feeling safe in their environment. They're not feeling safe with the transition, the change. And so you're going to see more refusal and all of us as a collective society We all had unpredictability and felt unsafe. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take a long time for us as a society, especially as young adults or young children who are growing up to find their sense of safety again. It doesn't just magically happen because the schools open up again. So I have found that that's a big one. The second one is we spent how many, like a year and a half, two years, many in many places. I know Florida opened up real fast, but you know, most places were closed down for a year and a half or so. So then kids didn't have that sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. And so they're missing that second piece of the funnel, which is connection and feeling like I feel seen and heard. I feel valued. I feel like I have a group I belong to. And so that's going to cause a lot of school refusal. And then the third one being sensory. And so if kids have been learning at home, if kids have been at home in their safe place and they know how to regulate their sensory systems at home, whether they know that's what they're doing or not, a lot of times parents of children with anxiety and OCD, like they are really aware of their kids' sensory needs. And so creating a safe place for that, but going into the school with the bright lights and the bright walls with all the pretty decorations and the sounds and the transitions and the movement, that's like sensory overload for so many children and yet would cause another reason for children to not want to go to school. Yeah. And I like that taking it one step at a time, you know, looking at the behavior funnel and looking at like what is causing it. And instead of just diving in and just a lot of, I think a lot of times parents are just like, you have to go, I go to work, you know, and we're just, we're at the end yeah. of that, probably that cycle of where we yeah. need to be headed. 
Yeah. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is I think as parents, we jump into the like the strategies, the solutions, the tools, the fix it. And that can't really happen until we've built that level of trust and that safety and connection, which happens in what I call ride the storm stage. And so in the book, I talk about five stages that we go through and we can't start with the routines and the systems. And that's where most people start is, well, I'll just create a routine. I'll hand it down to you and you follow it. And that's stage five, which we call family success. So instead we have to start at what I call ride the storm, which is your plan until you have a plan that works. And it sounds really silly to make that, but you're not going to magically listen to this podcast, make a plan, and then it's going to work tomorrow morning. You've been dealing with this struggle for a long time. So you need a plan for when your child refuses school because it's going to happen again. If it's happened before, there is going to be a day where no amount of coercing or talking or problem solving is going to get your kid out the door. So what do you do then so that you don't lose your cool, right? And so That one is really basic, and all of our plans are based in what we call the UQ framework, which is you, connection, understanding, and empowerment. So for Ride the Storm, it's about, for that you piece, it's doing something we call stop, breathe, anchor, which is just stopping, don't say anything, don't move your body, take a big, deep breath in, and then anchor yourself in today is one day, or you know, my kid is struggling, something that reminds you that your child needs you instead of your child is forcibly or purposely like trying to make your life hard. And, and then the connection piece is less about talking, less about, you know, playing or validating at this point, it's just about changing your body language because what happens when our kids are refusing, you're like, Like you like that, the let out that big sigh, like here we go again. Your eyes change, your shoulders change, your whole body changes. And so if you can just do kind of like a laser scan over your body and say, Am I sending signals of danger, which is going to make them more stressed out? Or am I sending signals that they are safe, that I'm their safe place? They can have these big emotions, these big feelings, these big fears, and we're going to work through it later when we're both calm. And then the understanding, again, you're not going to play 20 questions here. So instead of like, why won't you go to school? Well, what are you feeling? Well, how are you feeling? It's just, you're just remembering in that moment, all behaviors, communication, and this isn't about me. That's it. And then the empowerment piece, again, can't happen in the moment. It's if we focus on our kid never goes to school, our kid always fights us, then what we need to do instead is focus on the tiny. So maybe they're the tiny progress. So maybe normally it takes three hours to get your kid to school. And today it took two hours and 45 minutes. Well, that's progress, right? Or maybe today they got out of bed and then they refused. Maybe today they didn't want to get out of bed, but once they got out of bed, there was no problems after that. Maybe today you got to the parking lot. Maybe today you got in the car, but focusing on those teeny tiny steps forward is going to help your brain remember, hey, we are making progress instead of judging your progress on your worst day. Mm -hmm. Because if you do that, then you're going to constantly feel like you're not making any progress. Yeah. And I love how you're starting with the, with the parent, Mm -hmm. because a lot of times we want to know what to do with our kid, you know, and what should I tell them or what should I do? What should they do? How do I get them to do this? And Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's just so good to start with yourself. I mean, I, 
I did that this morning. It's kind of funny that we're talking about this and like this is happening this morning because it was the same thing. Like I recognized that I was like thinking about college and I recognized I was stressed. I like the way that you're talking about anchoring yourself because I've been, I mean, I've been just trying to do that in the last few years in general. But and then what you deem a success. I mean, he got out of bed and he went on the couch and he took a blanket and he put it over his head. And, you know, and I could have been like, he needs to eat. He's got restricted food intake issues and all sorts of stuff that normally I'm like hammering him to like, Mm -hmm. but I didn't, I was like, you know what? He's on the couch and like, he's, I think he's He's going to go to school. He put it, you know, like brushed his teeth, he said, and like, oh, right, he's going to be starving. And so like, I just got his water bottle for him and put it in his backpack and I just let him sleep until it was time to go. I think it's a hard thing to do for some parents, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, well, I think that there's a lot of fear around, you know, am I allowing this behavior or am I, you know, where's the line between pushing them out of their comfort zone? And I have this analogy I've been sharing lately. And my husband's like, man, you love this analogy. And I'm like, yeah, I really do. So you'll have to let me know if it lands with you. But this analogy of like, there's a good time to go shopping for sweaters and there's a bad time to go shopping for sweaters. Going shopping for sweaters after I've been in the sun all day and I've got a massive sunburn from head to toe is not the day to go shopping for a new sweater, right? Because any wrong texture, it is going to be painful. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be, I'm going to get miserable and frustrated really easily. Whereas if I've had, you know, it's winter and I'm warm and cozy and I haven't really like, you know, maybe I just got done with a massage even and I'm just like, feeling great. That's a great day to go shopping for a sweater because if something's uncomfortable, I can just take it off. But if I had a sunburn and I put something scratchy on top, it's going to be absolutely painful. And I think about that with pushing our kids to school. And if we can remember that it's a can't, not won't, there Mm -hmm. is a reason, even though our kids might look like they're purposely doing it and they might just be like, Oh, they're just giving me a hard time. Like, no, there is a reason. You might not understand the reason. You might not agree with their reason, but to them, it's super valid. And so just remembering that it's can't, not won't. Today, they have a sunburn. Today is not the day to be pushing them out. The day to push them out the door is when they're getting up and at least getting on the couch, when they're getting their food in their body, when they're like, And really the time to do it is ahead of the moment, like far ahead of the moment on a weekend or the week before and be like, all right, let's make a plan for when you don't feel like going to school, right? Like that's when you're doing it. I do like, I like the analogy because I think that that makes sense for a lot of anxiety and OCD. A lot of times it's in the moment when our kids are panicking or they're like in a compulsion loop and parents want, you know, it's triggering their fear. So they want to solve that in that moment. And definitely with the school refusal in that moment, when your kids are digging their heels in that you're not going to make progress, you know, picking them up and just dragging them to school. That's not going to help. I always say that in the moment you feel like, well, if I just force this, if I just make this happen, if I just push through this, then it'll be better for all of us. But really you end up like either more disconnected than when you started, if you are able to finally push them and get them to school, or as you said, your kid's 13, you can't pick them up and get them out of bed, you know? And so, but when our kids are younger and we attempt that, or we just drop them off crying and then we leave, you know, sometimes we're causing a bigger pull than actually helping. And I always say that 
then they're not going to feel good. You're not going to feel good. And you're going to think about it the whole rest of the day. And you're not going to be super productive. Whereas if you take the time to allow it to kind of play out, a lot of times it's so much less time. A lot of times it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes instead of hours of fighting. And then both of you ending up really frustrated. Yeah. So once you have that, you know, you're, you're kind of anchored and you've, you know, reframed your thinking, where do you go from there? So in our roadmap, we actually have another stage before we get into helping with the kids. And this one is one that most people want to skip over and it's our time and energy. And I'm not going to go into it in detail, but I think it's super important if we're dealing with school refusal, that's first thing in the morning. And so if we ourselves have no battery in our tank, if we have no fuel, no juice, nothing left in our body to handle a stressful situation first thing in the morning, then it's going to be really hard for us to respond, stay curious, stay calm, be that grounded presence. If we're rushing and stressed and worried that we're leaving, you know, we have no time and we're going to be late to work and all these things, it's going to be really hard. So in the book, I talk about five daily habits that parents can start to add in that just add up to five minutes. And so they're teeny tiny little daily habits to get your head straight, to get rid of your stress, because when stress goes up, executive functioning goes down. And so when we don't have the skills to stay organized, we don't have word retrieval, when we're not able to stay focused, it's going to be really hard to help our kids get out the door. So that'd be the next step is just making sure that you're not on empty when you start your morning. Yeah, which I think is crucial. I think it's a great step. Um, you know, I mean, I teach I teach that in my like self-care series because and I mean, I had to live that myself and I feel like you show up in such a more intentional way. Like when I just did, you know, I did a lot of work recently on on that, like more space and more like mindfulness and stupid things. Like, you know, I have like a coach that kind of helps me with like my world and she had an idea of like, I have these salt lamps everywhere, you know, because I think they're pretty. But she's like, turn one on like you're like setting, like you're starting your day. Like, and so I have one by my, yeah, it's a ritual. And it's like, it's a soothing ritual because it makes me pause for two seconds. If I turn it on and then I realize that I I forgot that I turned it on, I go back because obviously I wasn't mindful. Like I wasn't ready. And so, and that's a two, that's a 30 second, 30 seconds. That's exactly what these habits are. They, I say it's a five minute energy plan, but really a lot of them you can do in like a second, two seconds, like 30 seconds. Um, and some of them you can expand longer, you know, like the first one is a shift. And so what you just said is like pausing, turning it on and being mindful of your day. That's your shift. That's great. Right. But you can also spend 30 minutes doing a meditation. And that can be a shift. And so it really, it meets you where you are. But I hear so many parents say one of two things. They say, one, I don't have time, right? right? I'm so busy, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we all have a minute here and there, right? And and we have to give ourselves that minute because you're either going to spend the time taking care of yourself or you're going to be forced to take the time being in bed, being sick, and not being able to show up for your kids, right? So why not be proactive and take that time? And and look, you know, on this like podcast tour that I'm on right now, like I have friends, thank goodness, who keep messaging me and they're like, I hope you're taking time for you. I hope you're taking time That's for you. Nice. 
because it's so easy to get caught up and be like, I have no time. I have no time. Yeah. We have to force ourselves to prioritize that five minutes for ourselves. So that's number one. And number two is people will say, I just, I can't do it. I can't figure out why I'm not giving myself this time and energy plan. I know it's important, but I just can't force myself to do it. And the root cause here is typically that you don't believe you're worth it. Right. Yeah. That you don't believe you're worth the time being spent on yourself, the care being spent on yourself. And the thing is, is that the people that are saying this are are parents who care deeply about everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I always say, start with what you know. Well, if you care deeply about other people, like your child, then do it because you care about them, because you want to show up for them. And then by doing this small act of self-care, you're then going to start realizing, oh, I do matter. I am important. This five minutes is super valuable for me and I am worth it. And I think if we can do that, especially if we are raising kids with anxiety or OCD or challenging behaviors, they need to see us taking care of ourselves because they're in a world where many people discount their struggles, their challenges. My oldest, uh, struggles with anxiety. I struggle with anxiety. My daughter struggles with anxiety. And my oldest, when he goes to his dad's is told healthy people don't take meds. Oh my gosh. Right. And so he's being inundated with the world and his dad saying, you know, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. And so the more that they see us take time to drink water, to take our deep breaths, to center ourselves, to swap our thoughts, to take our meds, whatever it is that takes care of our body, then they're going to be like, oh, this is normal. This is what being healthy is. Yeah. I love all that because I do feel like, I think parents, there is this, like, we don't deserve it mentality, which is, I don't know where that comes from with uh, often women, you know, like I, I can't, it's like selfish. I'm going to focus on this and I need to, and I do feel like the trickle down is pretty immediate. I mean, the minute I started working on myself in the last two years, I was more present for my my son in particular because I had the least patience for him and my older daughter, I, I guess two out of the three, to be honest. <laughs> and they noticed the difference, you know, and it is modeling. You know, we're talking about them using all these coping skills and when we don't use them or we yeah. lose our cool, you know? So it's and, and if we don't have that energy, we can't even access our coping skills. And like what you're saying, you know, you're more present now because you have that time and energy. And again, I, I don't want to, I don't want to pretend like life isn't hard for many parents who are listening to this. I've been there. I've, you know, been where we were dealing with three to five hour meltdowns a day and we were left with nothing. And I wish I had had someone then who said, just take a minute, just take one minute to yourself in the mornings. And, um, and actually the way that I kind of climbed out of that was I started just taking a shower and it was, it was fast because I knew if I was in the shower, there was a possible fight or a meltdown happening outside the shower, but I took a shower, I brushed my hair and I put on clean clothes. And that act was enough to kind of get me out of this funk I was in that was really hard for me to show up for my kids. Yeah. That's such a good example. Like even just showering and taking a moment to take care of your needs or eating something or having a cup of coffee, something to, to set you for the day. Yes. So what's the next step after that? I know you kind of like, I, you know, I like you're very systems oriented, you know, and I I think parents need that, you know, the step and another step and then 
Yeah. So we're just kind of doing so the next strokes. <laughs> we are, but we're focusing just on school refusal, which is so I kind of shows how you can apply this to one specific struggle or like high level to your family, right? Yeah. So the next stage is in the moment. So diffusing the bomb and and really what do I say and do in the moment? And you still apply that UQ framework. So the U piece is thought swap. So we talk a lot about being able to swap your thoughts from negative disempowering thoughts to more empowering thoughts. And we use something called thought monsters and super swaps. And so the idea is when this happens in the heat of the moment, who am I going to call on? Like what typically comes up? And one of the easiest ones is always a never beast. Like that one is an easy one for parents to kind of wrap their head around. It's also a great one to teach our kids who have anxiety because they're just thinking in absolutes, right? So, but this always a never beast, it forces you to kind of look at absolutes. My kid always refuses school. My kid never goes to school. My kid always puts up a fight. My kid never listens to me, whatever that is. And so in the moment you call on fact finder, Freddie. And you say, fact finder, Freddie, help me find proof that it's not always or never. And you're like, okay, when my kids had a long day the day before, they're going to have a hard time getting up the next day. When it's a new situation, my son's going to have a hard time waking up. When there's an event happening at school, my child's going to struggle to go to school, right? So when you can, so when this happens, then I'm going to see more struggles. It makes it easier for you to go, oh, not only can you preempt now, but it helps you have so much more compassion when you're like, oh, okay, today's picture day. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Today's a new school, right? Like those are, you know, the first day of school, those sorts of things can be really helpful. Or yesterday he went to a birthday party and that just took everything out of him. And so today's going to be hard for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, I like that because it's that all or nothing thinking that really for everybody, for the child, for you, it just gets you down that that deep hole. Yeah. And it's, and we'll talk about ahead of the moment, but so remember this one, because it's a great tool to teach our kids, especially with anxiety, OCD is like when they're focusing on the, well, you know, someone always picks on me or I never get chosen in, in class, or it's always too loud at school, right? Like those things, it's really helpful for them to call in fact finder Freddie to mm-hmm. find the proof that, oh yeah, Miss So-and-so lets me go to her room when I'm stressed out. Or I had a great time doing math yesterday, so maybe I'll be okay at math today, right? Like helping them find those small bits that are, instead of looking at it as a whole and saying, oh my gosh, all of school is hard. Yeah. I like that. You know, that reframing of thinking is so important. Yeah. The connection part in the heat of the moment is closer and lower. So the example I have here is in the book, I actually share a school refusal story for this one in particular. One of our students, Leslie, her son had massive anxiety. And, and so when it was time to go to school, he would run away. And he would hide under the bed or he would hide in the closet, but he would run and hide and she would chase him. (laughs) And so that just, you know, created this like stress and this arguments and these fights in the morning. And so what she did instead is she knew she couldn't chase him. Right. So before saying like, it's time to go to school, she would actually go and sit near him. And sometimes he was already under the bed. And so she just like got down on the floor And just said, I'm here when you're ready. And that's it. That was it. And they came up with an ahead of the moment plan that he would then 
do a thumbs up or thumbs down that he was feeling okay for school or not okay for school. And so then they had another plan that would happen after that. But the in the moment was that she would go to wherever he is, meet his level and just be there with him. And that made a massive difference for her and for him so that he knew, okay, mom's not here to fight me. Mom's not mad at me because I'm not going to school again. Mom's not mad because I can't go to school today. She doesn't believe I won't go to school. She knows. She knows I'm struggling and she's here with me. And that time helped shorten the time that it took him to get to the next step, which would be the kitchen table or which would be the car, but just staying kind of near him and close to him and knowing, okay, I'm here. And it was proactive. I like that. You know, I think a lot of what you're talking about is having this intentional proactive plan that your book kind of outlines. And so you don't have to think about these things in the moment because once you do your system, like you understand the steps that you're going to be taking, you can even like literally just be like, what step am I on? What am I doing? Okay. I have to do this first. Yeah. And I like the nonverbal with the the thumbs up because a lot of times kids just lose their ability to, to verbalize their feelings. Especially if that, if like, if you're dealing with school refusal, right? Like being able to just be like thumbs up, thumbs down. My daughter at school had a card system like that. She would just, she wouldn't even raise her hand at school. And so having a card system on her desk that she could do a purple for I need help, red for I feel like I'm having a panic attack, you know, yellow for I'm, you know, concerned, uh, green for I'm feeling great. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's great. Yeah, really helped. That was an ahead of the moment plan that we came up with for her because we really realized how serious it was because my daughter broke her arm last year and she broke it at school on the playground and stayed at school the whole rest of the day. Oh my gosh. That would Why? Been- because <laughs> she didn't raise her hand and say she hurt. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. Like that's how, like how I was finally able to share with them. And they were like, no, she speaks up. Cause my daughter's a model student. So they were like, she speaks up. She's fine. We don't see these problems at school. And I said, okay, I'm going to ask you a question. Does she raise her hand when she knows the answer or does she raise her hand to ask a question? And she goes, Oh, she only raises her hand when she knows the answer. I said, right. She's not going to ask for help. She's not going to ask for support because she doesn't want to be a bother because that's just how she is. Like, and so we have to create some sort of nonverbal plan for her. And that, that helped tremendously because once she knew she had a plan, this goes back to in the moment, ahead of the moment, Mm -hmm. but like once my daughter was refusing school, because she was afraid that she'd have a panic attack at school and her friends would see her have a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Now that she had a tool at school, it was easier to get to school because she wasn't as afraid of what happens if she has a panic attack. Right. And I think that's key as you're building up on these steps, like understanding the behavior tunnel and understanding or funnel. Funnel, funnel. I think it is yours. And we can tunnel it too. That works. You can tunnel and funnel <laughs> it. Yeah. But then, you know, you know what to bring to the school. I think sometimes people, expect that the school is going to come up with these amazing, like proactive plans for anxiety or OCD and school refusal. And they're not equipped. No, not with anxiety because so what you have to remember is at school, like they're equipped with the technical, like learning education. And I was a teacher. So, you know, I have 12 years in the classroom. And so they're equipped with that and they're equipped with accommodations for a very diagnosable challenge that affects learning. Now that's the key word there. If they don't believe or perceive that it affects learning, 
then you're not going to get a whole lot of accommodations. You have to fight really hard and they just don't have an understanding of anxiety. And it's hard to get a diagnosis for anxiety. We went to our, you know, general practitioner and my husband was like, can you just do some physical test? Just, I just want to make sure that there's not actually something physically wrong with her that we're missing because she was lethargic. She was low tone. She was complaining of her body aching, all those things. It was still anxiety. And he said to my husband, you don't have a physical problem. You have a parenting problem. I would never let my child act like this. She just needs to go to school. Oh my goodness. Okay. Right. (laughs) Now we are like supposedly at this great doctor's office and we're educated people. Imagine how many people are dealing with this that don't have a good edu- like a good doctor system, mm-hmm. that don't have good support. And they're being told this and then believe that it really is a parenting problem. And then that's where this fear comes in of like, I have to get my kid to school. Right. Or the school becomes punitive or like they threaten mm-hmm. court. They threaten all sorts yeah. of crazy we things. We had that this last year. We had the truancy office call. And so like the truancy office called and I was like, okay, I know why you're calling, right? My daughter has missed a lot of school th- this year. And, and she was like, okay, well, what's your plan to get her here? And I said, here's, here's what I want you to know. My daughter has straight A's and my daughter loves learning. And if I force her to go to school, just to say I'm forcing her to go to school, she's going to hate learning and she's not going to have good grades. So it's going to be detrimental to her. Whereas when she stays home, she stays home because it's hard for her to get to school. Mm -hmm. She still does the work at home. She still learns. She still does these things. And so the truancy officer was like, oh, I totally get that. I'm, I'm going to put that in here. Like, we're not going to bother you anymore. Wow. That was lucky. I was like, okay, all right. You know, I mean, there was probably more to that conversation, but the school itself was the one that called the truancy office. She's like, we weren't in charge of this. Like they noted, like notated it and they called us and said, this kid keeps not coming to school. Even though we had sat down at the table for accommodations, even though we had talked through solutions they still reported us to the truancy office, even though they knew why she wasn't coming to school. Wow. So scary sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you yeah. do have to advocate for sure. You do. You do. And it's a very real concern or worry. And I don't want to discount that either for parents who, you know, are on a one income household or need both of their jobs. But I also want to say that sometimes we can be so in the struggle that we don't see the other options And I think if you're worried that your kid, you know, refusing school is going to keep you from being able to work, I would go to work before the school year starts. And I would say, hey, this is something that happens with my kid. This is why it happens. And here's what I'm willing to do on the days that he can't get to school and I can't get to school on time. Are you open to that? And that might be something like I'm willing to work late hours. I'm willing to take work home. I'm willing to, you know, take on someone else's whatever, right? But like letting them know before it happens, instead of just being late every day and then just suddenly getting fired, right? Being proactive even at work so you can reduce that fear and loss of income or things like that, because that's that's not your kid's problem. Your kid's problem is not loss of income. And so we don't want to force them to go to school just because we might be stressed or worried about the outcome. We just have to problem solve about how can we get around this. I think that's brilliant. Because even though it's so obvious, I don't think a lot of us think that, you know, and some people may not be in a position where their work is going to be flexible, but there are a lot of 
people who have worked where if they were up front and said, I can work from home or I can work extra hours on this day or I'll pick up this extra shift proactively, then your stress level in that morning, like you have to clear your morning sometimes for yeah. some, depending on how acute it is. And start looking for something that's that's more flexible because with the pandemic, it opened up a ton of online opportunities. And so looking for something that might be a little more flexible, a lot of uh, businesses went back to hybrid and didn't go back to full time in the, you know, in the office. Or if you work a certain job where it requires you to be there, you know, having a backup system, even if it's not you not getting there, but you have a go-to person. You have someone you can call on that's like, okay, you know, if, if it extends past an hour of like trying to get you to school, well, then I'm going to call in aunt Susie and aunt Susie's going to sit with you until you feel ready to go to school because I'm on call at the hospital and I have to go or whatever. Right. Like you just look at your situation and create a plan for your own self so that when your child is refusing school, you're not thinking of all the ramifications in your adult life. Yeah, 100%. Because that adds so much of the stress when you are like, I am going to be late for this appointment. I, I remember being like, I have a therapy appointment like in 20 minutes. I have to get going. And my daughter was first kindergarten, first and second grade were really rough school refusal. But I also like your ideas of like, you can find things at school, you know, so once she had the cards and she felt like she had a voice that probably reduced her stress and her anxiety about going to school. I know with my daughter, you know, introducing her to the nurse (laughs) and Mm -hmm. the nurse, you know, and knowing that you can go to the nurse, if you're feeling like you're going to, she has a metaphobia and she gets anxiety attacks too. I was like, if you're, if you feel like you're going to throw up, you can go to the nurse. And I would have a conversation with the nurse and say, she has anxiety. Don't send her home because she's not sick. And the nurse and her now have this relationship where the nurse has gluten-free crackers for her, you know, and so she'll go there for lots of small things, but she knows most of the time not to call me, you know, like, but she has a safe place and she, Mm -hmm. she knows that the nurse is a safe place. That is the important part is making sure that your kid has a safe person or a safe place at school. It doesn't have to be the whole school. And again, we talked about all or nothing or fact finder Freddie. So the school's not safe. No, the whole school's not safe. Let's find one person that's safe. Let's find one room that's safe. And let's start there. Let's start small. And having that support system in place is so important for our kids and for us. And we can even apply that always and never and Fact Finder Freddy to, or like we use DJ Break It Down. But like, if you're looking at the whole day and you're like, my kid is refusing school, that must mean they're going to miss the whole day. Well, it doesn't have to. It mm-hmm. gets just, so when my daughter, every time like my daughter starts to refuse school, in the moment, my plan is, okay, I do my little thought swaps and I say, my say, do provide, which is the empower piece is like, okay, I hear you don't want to go to school. I'm going to go ahead and start breakfast. Let's only think about the next step. So I only focus her on the next step, mm-hmm. the next step, the next step. We don't talk about school. I said, that's fine. Yeah. We're not going to talk about school right now. Yeah. Let's just talk about going to breakfast. And she's like, well, you're going to make me go to school after breakfast. And I'm like, nope, just Let's focus on breakfast. Let's focus on getting clothes on. Let's focus on brushing our teeth. Yeah. Let's focus on making a lunch, right? Like tiny baby steps. And then once everything's done, it's like, all right, so how are you feeling right now? Oh, I'm worried. Okay. Can you tell me what you're worried about? Now she's ready to talk to me. She wasn't ready when she woke up. And so now maybe we're 30 minutes late. Maybe we're 45 minutes late, but now she willingly gets in the car 
She says goodbye to me. She hugs me. She says, see you later. And she has a fantastic day. And she's 45 minutes late. No problem. Yeah. Right. Like I would much rather her be late, go to school happy and feel successful and be open and accessible for learning the rest of the day than for A, her to miss the whole day or B, for us to have a fight, me drop her off, her crying, her fighting me, all of that. And just say, go to school. You're going to school. And we open the door and I push her in mm-hmm. because she's not going to learn. She's not going to be receptive to learning. She's not going to hear anything the teachers are saying. And then she's going to feel ostracized because all her friends are looking at her. Mm-hmm. She's the girl who cries when she comes to school. Yeah. Right? So I want to make sure that I'm helping set her up for success when she gets to school. Yeah. It's so important. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's a nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. So is there another step? I don't know how many steps there are. Well, we were talking kind of in the moment and then going back and forth between in the moment and ahead of the moment. And I find that that, that's what happens is when you get to in the moment, you're creating a plan for what to say and do in the heat of the moment. And it's less about all the scripts we see online. It's more about creating something for yourself and almost treating it like a science experiment and saying, okay, my plan is I'm going to say, I hear that you don't want to go to school. 
I'm going to get your, you know, the thing I'm going to do for you is set your clothes out, right? Or whatever. The thing I'm going to provide for you is your your breakfast is going to be ready when you get downstairs, or I can give you a hug, whatever it is, right? You pick that ahead of time and that's your in the moment planning. You stick with it. And then you treat it like getting uh, braces at the orthodontist. It's not one and done. You go back and then they have to tweak your upper left. And then you go back and they have to, you know, tweak your lower right. And it's these small, tiny tweaks. So if the phrase you're saying is triggering your child even more, change the phrase. If the thing you're providing isn't working, then change the thing you're providing. But don't throw it all out. Just Mm -hmm. change one tiny piece of your plan at a time. And as you're using that in the moment plan, when things are settled, like after school or when you're playing with them later in the day or when you're sitting down for dinner or maybe even over the weekend, you can start creating an ahead of the moment plan with your child. And that's where you're problem solving. You're kind of spiraling things out and saying, where do we need a plan? What do we need to tweak? You're building skills. You're teaching those strategies, those coping mechanisms we were talking about. And now you have a plan that they can use ahead of the moment as well. So now you're helping them create a plan. Yeah. Which is lifelong, lifelong skills. I mean, that's ultimately the the goal is we want our kids to be able to, to do these things for themselves as they, you know, struggles and things like that. Yes, absolutely. And then from there is that stage five where you're starting to create now that you have these ahead of the moment plans and in the moment plans, you're helping your child create new systems. So maybe they have a personal boundary. When I feel this way, I can do this, right? Or, you know, my daughter has like a little door hanger and she turns it over when she needs alone time. And she turns it one way when she's feeling like guests can enter. Like that's her system for I'm feeling a little like alone, right? Like I don't, I don't want anyone coming in. And so you're creating those things. You're creating the routines. That's a system. You're creating an agreement, right? So if you've got a kid who, when they're anxious, they hit or they bite or they do something that's a little aggressive, then maybe the personal boundary is like, or an agreement is we agree that, you know, we'll, we'll be kind to each other. We'll treat each other kindly, right? to the best of our ability. I always add that because our kids are never doing what they do on purpose, right? And so in the moment, the agreement might be, if you kick me, I'm going to move away, right? So instead of just like, don't kick, or I can't let you kick me, it's, I don't want to get kicked. That's the personal boundary. I don't want to get kicked. So I'm going to move to the other side of the room. If you want me near, I need you to stop kicking, Mm -hmm. right? That's the personal boundary. But if the kid is kicking, that's their way of like dealing with this emotion. It just means you don't have to be the end of it. (laughs) You can say, if you're going to kick, I'm just going to move this way. And being able to say, I want to be in the room with you, but I don't want to get hurt. Mm -hmm. Right. That is really helpful too. So you're moving into more of systems and strategies that you guys are going to use as a whole family. Yeah. So a nice, good framework of, of how you're addressing the things that are coming up just on a a, a bigger scale. Yes. I like that. So can you tell us a little bit more about Calm the Chaos? I feel like you kind of broke it down a little bit and about what's going on in the book. Yeah. So Calm the Chaos, it's a roadmap for parenting any child, really. Um, I say for, you know, even the most challenging kids, but it's built so that Parents don't have to feel like they have to figure it all out on their own. 
And also they don't have to give away their agency to an expert telling them what to do. And so what I've done is I've coupled best practices into the UQ framework, which is you connect, understand, empower. But then I've broken it down in a way where it can be adaptable to any child, any family. It's not cookie cutter. And then it meets you where you're at with that roadmap. And because if you're in survival mode, if you're stressed out, if your kids are stressed out, jumping into solutions and strategies, you're not going to be able to access them or your kids aren't going to be able to access them. And so starting with that ride the storm and then time and energy in the moment, ahead of the moment, and then family success allows you to build on each plan as you're going. Yeah, I love that. I think that makes so much sense. So I will leave a link in the show notes. People, I'm sure, can find Calm the Chaos anywhere. I saw it. It was already on Amazon. It's being released. It might be released once this podcast is already up. August 15th is the release date. And they can go to calmthechaosbook.com and get some goodies as well. Oh, nice. So I will leave a link for that as well. So thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Well, I hope that you found that helpful. It's a lot of work to kind of come up with a proactive plan. And obviously... You're not going to get that in a 45-minute, 55-minute podcast, but the idea is to give you some idea of where to go with this, how to think about it. Definitely check out her new book coming out. Actually, it will be out by the time this podcast is out, and so you can get that wherever you buy your books. Calm the Chaos, a fail-proof roadmap for parenting even the most challenging kids. I will leave a link in the show notes. I'll also leave a link to her website related to the book. So you can get those extras that she was talking about. If you are wanting to also take a course on difficult behavior, you probably already know, but I do offer a course, difficult behavior caused by anxiety and OCD specifically. And those are good supplements, her book, my course, because in my course, I dive deeper into anxiety and OCD and you know how we're going to really take this the tools that I've been teaching you in this podcast episode and not this episode in this podcast in general and in my other online courses like how to teach kids to crush OCD how to teach kids to crush anxiety and then how do you take all those skills and then how do you handle the difficult behavior that also comes with it with anxiety and OCD so so good to get different resources and get different perspectives and they really supplement and complement each other so check out Dana's book calm the chaos And again, check the show notes. I will leave those links easy to find on Amazon and I'm sure is going to do fantastic. And I hope that you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, don't forget to rate it, hit a star if there's a star to hit and leave a review. I greatly appreciate that. So I hope that you're finding the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 